the intersection is reopened, uh, that accident mostly on the right side now, so you are getting around that. And of course, delays northbound 75 at Mitchell, southbound 75, Galbraith to Paddock, and Harrison off and on to the Brent Spence Bridge. Your forecast from the National Weather Service calls for uh, clear skies tonight for a change, a low around 62, tomorrow sunny with a high of 85, and then we really warm up starting Friday. Sunny skies, a high around 90. We'll be in the low 90s Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, according to the National Weather Service. Our next chance of precipitation will come Sunday afternoon. Right now, though, 84 degrees here at 89.3 WMKV. The views and discussion expressed on this program do not necessarily represent those of the hosts of the program, WMKV, Maple Knoll Communities, its staff or management. The information and advice presented are educational in nature and not intended to be taken as legal, accounting, or other professional advice. Always consult with your own legal, accounting, or other professional before making any investment. Welcome to Real Life Real Estate Investing, a show to help you gain financial freedom by investing in real estate. Brought to you by the Real Estate Investors Association of Cincinnati and the Ohio Real Estate Investors Association. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing on 89.3 FM WMKV. And now your host, Vena Jones-Cox. Good evening. I am Vina Jones-Cox, and welcome to Real Life Real Estate Investing, the nation's no-hype public radio source for real estate investing, information, tips, news, and strategies. And tonight, we're talking strategy. We're talking about what has to be the most talked about strategy of the last few years, short sales. The thing that uh, every investor loves to hate. We're taking your calls on the topic of short sales at 772-9658. If you're here in the greater Cincinnati area, you can call toll-free if you're listening nationwide on our online broadcast at wmkvfm.org. You can call 877-772-9658. And just as soon as my computer boots up, you can also send us an email by going to askvina at gmail.com. Askvina at gmail.com. You can send us email questions about this very important topic. My guest tonight is John Zorer, who has been a guest here on Real Life Real Estate Investing before. Uh, he is a young man who has actually only been in the entire real estate business for about four years, but has carved himself out a niche in the wholesale, short sale, wholesale, wholetail market. Uh, that caused him to be named Foreclosure Investor of the Year in 2008. He is joining us by phone on his way to Cincinnati for his RIA of Greater Cincinnati uh, meeting appearance tomorrow evening, which we'll talk a little bit more about in a few minutes. Uh, John, welcome to Real Life Real Estate. Thank you so much for having me on the show, Vina. It's really, really great to be here, and I look forward to taking everybody's questions tonight. Yes, and we look forward to getting everybody's questions at 772-9658 or 877-772-9658. Now, John, I I think the question that a lot of people um, are going to have on their minds is given that short sales present certain challenges, which we will talk more about as the show goes on, why in the world did you choose to go into short sales exclusively and full bore as your very first strategy? Well, I wish there was a, a, another, you know, better answer. But uh, short sales was actually the first thing that I was exposed to in the real estate world, and I thought it was really, really cool. And uh, I spent all my money uh, on the guy that taught me how to do short sales initially, the, the, the initial stuff that I learned about doing short sales. And um, it's just something that has stuck with me. And I guess uh, another reason on top of that is, you know, I was a mortgage broker uh, before I got into real estate. And, um, you know, it's something that I, I guess it, 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 
it, it was kind of nice to see the, how the other side of the, the industry worked. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's nice to see what the mortgage brokers were doing to people. That... Well, it, that opened up a, a really a lot of uh, questions for me that was like, it, it kind of shocked me. Some of the things that I was taught as a loan officer, you know, and, and teaching other loan officers to do that it was not right to do. And it was really uh, shocking to learn some of that stuff. It was an, an, an eye opener and it was, and it, and it helped me make the switch over to helping people get out of the situation that I saw a lot of my colleagues put them into. So that was very interesting, to say the least. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, we should we should say just for background that you uh, work in New Jersey and uh, you live yep. in, you live in the Linden area, which is uh, south of, of Newark. But really, you've done short sales pretty much from South Jersey all the way up to pretty much the north part of Jersey. And that many times uh, your the house prices in your market are significantly higher than they are in many other parts of the country. People think of Newark as being sort of a depressed area, but there's lots of places around Newark where the median house price is in the 250s or 350s right now. Oh, that's like, you know, an average, uh, you know, bread and butter type of neighborhood. There's the, the, the median house prices kind of varies all over since we're such a densely populated state. There's some neighborhoods where... 550 650 is the median average price range and that, and and you can get to all these neighborhoods within 20 minutes and that's the weird part about our state. Mhm. Mhm. Okay, so sometimes just putting the blinders on and keeping them on and just focusing on one strategy works really really well for people and keeps them out of the whole paralysis of analysis and should I do this million other things? And that was sort of forced upon you by the fact that you only had X dollars to spend on education, and you spent all of that on a on a yeah, on, on a short sale uh, class. Um, we 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 should also we should also mention that coming into this business, uh, you were not employed because you had been uh, you had had an operation and you had been pretty much on your back for about four months prior to all of this. It was actually almost a year, December 26th of 2006. I always joke and say that Santa Claus brought me back surgery. And, um, you know, I was, uh, I guess, 25 at the time. Uh, actually, 24, because uh, I'm about to be 27 next month. Um, and I was bedridden almost for about a year prior. And uh, I was, I, was, I only survived because of, you know, disability and whatnot. And we, Casey and I, my partner, and she's also my girlfriend. We went into a lot, a lot of debt, uh, you know, trying to get out of that situation. So, you know, when I first got into the real estate world, I was so broke, I didn't even know what I was going to do with myself. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, like you said, short sales was kind of the first thing that I came across because I had met you a few years prior to having back surgery and I was looking for a sign, and actually my buddy, George, who you know as well, most people won't know who George is, but, you know, George got this email from you, and he sent it over to me, and I took it as a, took it as a sign, and I went and to, you know, come to one of your seminars, and I learned all about the short sales, and, uh, you know, it, it was really, really worth it because it opened my eyes, and I was able, to, because I was in such a corner it forced myself to really focus in and learn the one strategy and just go out there and do it. And I think from get from starting from scratch and now actually teaching other investors, I see that the biggest the biggest um, holdback for new investors is that they need to know it all and they need to learn all these different strategies before they go out and do anything. And I, and I think that's the the biggest thing that um, you know holds people. Up holds people back from having success. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. That they that they think they need to know everything. Not, right. not, not I, that they you don't you don't need to know you need to only all you need to know is here's a system, here's what somebody else has done in the past and just make it work. That's what you need to know. My first two deals that I got ever, I got from a real estate agent that I happen to know. Uh, she was a friend of mine. And she had a homeowner. She had two deals in Newark, one on Gobble Street and one on Mulberry Street. And I was brand new in the business. Like, I was maybe three days into the business. I had just come back from 
the seminar, and I got my books and my tapes, and I was listening and taking all kinds of notes, and I actually went to the actual appointment with the realtor and the homeowner, and I took my manuals, and I read right out of the manuals because I didn't know how to explain it. So you don't need to know anything. You just need to know that somebody has a system and that they've been successful and that they've done it before, and you can follow it and get the same results. Mm-hmm. And that's that's how I started, and then I tailored it to make it my own. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a great story because uh, er- everyone that you hear speak about real estate is all, always says, "Oh, you don't need any money, you don't need any credit, you don't need any experience." And you know, some some of these some of these people went to Harvard, you know, and you go, "Okay, yeah, it's easy for you to say because you had money and credit." when you when you started but uh you you literally spent every dime you had on this course right you your credit was shot and you, i was over a hundred thousand dollars in debt between casey and i and and you were so you were so determined to make it work that the idea that you know i'm gonna feel silly if i go to this meeting with the manual and answer the questions out of the manual didn't even occur to you you just you just you're like, okay, I don't know the answer, so I'm just going to take this with me. And I, I just, I, of course, I wasn't there, but I always laugh when I when I think about that. Uh, that and 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 the funny thing is that it worked. It, there was no. <laughs> right. It's because because I acted normal. I acted confident. I acted normal. I didn't act like it was a big deal. You know, if I was to go in there and act like I was ashamed because I was reading out of the manuals and and I was ashamed because I didn't you know know what I was doing, I, I just went in there and I was confident and I said. You know what? I'm going to read out of these manuals because I'm kind of new uh, with this uh, with this whole strategy, and I just want to make sure that I explain everything right. And I just went in and I read and I was confident and I acted like this was the normal thing that everybody does this. And I walked away with two houses that day. <laughs> nice. All right, we need to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about some of the do's and don'ts of short sales with John Zor. You can give us a call at 772-9658 or 877-772-9658 or send us an email at askvina at gmail.com. Support for WMKV comes from the Real Estate Investors Association of Cincinnati, a nonprofit educational association with programs available for real estate investors at all levels of experience. RIA meets on the first and third Thursdays of every month. More information about RIA and their meetings is available at 859-292-7342. Let's check on traffic right now. We have an accident Neeb at Rapid Run, an accident northbound 71 just past Dana Montgomery. Uh, southbound 71 south of Red Bank on the right shoulder, an accident, so a couple of problems on 71 this afternoon. Boudinot in Montana, an accident, 7,500 block of Vine, and a motorcycle accident northbound on uh, US 42 at eastbound 275's ramp on the right side. Of course, we have some backups too. Heading downtown toward the ball game tonight, we have some backups southbound 71 from Reading Gilbert down past the Lytle Tunnel. Your forecast tonight, clear skies, a low around 62 degrees. Tomorrow, some sunshine with a high around 85 degrees. Then we warm things up even more. Starting Friday, high temperatures around 90 or above. Low 90 Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, even as far as next Wednesday, according to the National Weather Service. So we're going to get a good dose of August and late July in June. If you love music, you'll love WMKV's evening lineup tonight. At 8 p.m. after Mystery Playhouse, it's Hit Parade Highlights. At 9 o'clock tonight, don't miss In Concert. And at 10 p.m., Barbershop Harmony. Followed at 11 p.m. by Music Till Midnight. Your favorites are right here every day on 89.3 FM, WMKV, the way radio was and is meant to be. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox. My guest today is John Zorer. John is also the featured keynote speaker at tomorrow night's Real Estate Investors Association of Cincinnati meeting, which is open to the public. You can come bring your real estate agent, your friends, your colleagues, your guests. It's all at no charge because it is guest night at RIA. The meeting starts at 7 o'clock for the main meeting, and it is at the Jordan Crossing at the corner of Reading and Seymour Avenue. You can get more information at CincinnatiRIA.com. That's Cincinnati, R-E-I-A.com, or at 859-292-7342. Uh, <clears throat> now, John, I know that... um. 
you belong to a number of real estate associations up in the in the Newark area and in the um, in the uh, uh, New Jersey area. And I know that you talk to a lot of people about short sales. And I know you have heard this objection. I've heard there's a lot of money in them, but they are such a pain in the rear. I gave up on them. What do you say to people when they? Well, I hear that a lot. Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> Go ahead. I hear that a lot, and um, I think that the reason that people get so frustrated and they give up on short sales is because they choose to focus on any deal that comes their way. And there's an abundance of deals out there right now, and it's really, you know, it's really in your best interest to to cherry pick the deals. And what I mean is there are certain banks like Bank of America Countrywide or SunTrust or PNC. Those types of banks, they just don't get with the program as far as working short sales with investors or retail buyers for that matter. You know, Bank of America, you even have a retail buyer or a regular real estate agent working their transaction, and it'll take a year and they'll, you know, They'll start the process over four times, five times, and, and that's common for any investor that's working on short sales. So I think that's why so many people give up and they they think that they don't go on to make the huge profit checks that they can from short sales because they don't know how to, um, to uh, filter out the time killer and money-wasting deals. Mm-hmm. So I think that that's that's the biggest issue. Yeah. That. For for every story that you hear of, of someone who says, well, you know, I worked that short sale for 16 months and I finally got it closed. There's there's literally 20 that go, I worked that short sale for 16 months and it still was not accepted after all that time. So it's not, uh, especially for new investors, it tends to be very, very frustrating that this isn't a, a 30-day process where, okay, here's what I want to pay. Do you want to take it or not? Yes or no. Right. Um, and that's, and that's well, just not, not, not the way it works. Yeah, I think people, you know, especially newer investors, you know, they get excited because somebody wants to give them a house and just say, here, take my house and you don't have to pay me any money right now. You just take it and see if you can make money with it. And people are like, oh, I got this deal and they're really excited and they want to make money. And they just focus in on that one deal, and they pound it into the ground, and 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 they just they end up you know not making any money from it because they focus on the wrong things again. So you know, yeah, it's it's a shame. There there's definitely way better deals like the you know I I my I myself I like to focus on the properties that are vacant and have deferred maintenance. I, I'm not I, I I'm not a big proponent of you know, doing the pretty houses as I as much as I was a year or two ago. So, you know, things are always changing on what what's good to work on and what's not good to work on. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, the folks who are actually in the market on a day to day basis, like you are, can can <laughs> tell you things like that. Where uh, uh, some okay, there is more. There are more short sale courses of various sorts out there than there are any other kind of course. If if you Google short sale courses, you will find everything from uh, free eBooks to online courses to five day boot camps uh, and ranging in price from from nothing to literally twelve or fifteen thousand dollars. Okay, it is it is more true in this strategy, in my opinion, than in any other that the people who have become fossilized, in other words, yeah, they did a bunch of short sales five years ago but they, they're really not in the market today, literally cannot tell you anything of value. Because I, I, the, the, the short sales are so different today than they were even two years ago. They're changing constantly, all the time. And, you know, you really have to be on top of the different bank policies and changes in, you know, insurance companies like the FHA, flip rules and all that kind of stuff like that. You really need to be on top of that so you can make the most money and help the most uh, amount of families because that's what we're all about first is helping the families. And if you help enough families, all the other stuff will come along with it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, very true. So, okay, secret number one is don't mess with every short sale that comes across your desk. And Absolutely not. Y- you name some of the banks that are difficult to work with. Uh, you, you, you said that you like to focus on the ones that are vacant. Why, why is that? 
Well, the the reason that I like to focus on vacant properties is is that well, my top reason is the homeowner is no longer emotionally attached, and you're not going to have to deal with some tor- uh, or if it's not a homeowner, you're not going to have to deal with some kind of tenant that is going to throw up all these different types of obstacles to get access to the property because there's all these different things be- involved in a short sale, you know, like getting the BPO, doing the you know showing your buyers the property getting your contractor in there to do a scope of work. There's all these different things. And when you have a homeowner, especially one that's lived there for years and years, and now they're losing their house, they tend to be very emotional. And sometimes they'll work with you in the beginning, and then they'll go all spazoid in the middle. And it's just, uh, it's just, uh, it, it, sometimes it can be uh, very frustrating. And I like to, not to say that those deals aren't profitable, because they are profitable. And, you know, we still do work on, on deals that are not vacant, but I'm all about the 80/20 rule, where I can work smarter and not harder. You know, there's the the 20% of the deals that are going to come into your pipeline are going to account for 80% of the profits. So what we do is we try to focus in on that 20% and figure out how we can, you know, find, you know, double that and triple that. Because if we can do that, then our profits will double and triple. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, what about what about property condition? That is always a big question mark out there because uh, there's there's one school of thought that says if the property's in really bad shape, you can get a bigger discount and you're more likely to get your offer accepted. And there's another school of thought that says if it's in really bad shape, it's going to be harder to sell to a retail buyer at the end. And it's going to be, uh, it might be uh, uh, tougher to get a, a good price on. Uh, what has been your experience with that? Well, see, the thing is, is that both they, both deals that need work and deals that are pretty houses, both are very profitable if you do them the correct way. You know, you said something very interesting. If you have a house with a lot of uh, deferred maintenance that needs a lot of repairs, it's going to be hard to find a retail buyer. Well, yeah, it is, of course. So what you're going to do is you're going to focus on finding an investor buyer, and that's going to make your transaction that much easier because, you know, doing doing the uh, A to B, B to C, short sale flip, it, it's, 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 it definitely is an advanced strategy, and it takes some coordination. And, um, you know, so those transactions tend to be easier. But then on the flip side of that, you know, investing the time and learning the A to B, B to C flip, you can work on properties that are not in as bad condition as, as some of the other ones, and you don't have to get the you know, standard investor discount of, you know, 70 to 60 cents on the dollar minus repairs minus the wholesale fee. You can work on higher end properties, properties that are worth more money, get a smaller discount and flip it over to a retail buyer and make money. And then in between all of those different things, there's still other situ- other factors that you have to consider on the deals. Like, you know, we talked about a second ago, the homeowners and their cooperation and how how they look at the the property, and then you have you know the bank, and then you have the hardship. There's, so there's all these different things like that will make each deal profitable, and it really is a case by case basis. Mm-hmm. So there's there's different standards that you can use for um, the different types of deals. Mm-hmm. Let's say. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? <clears throat> yes, very good. Um, we need to take a quick break. I want to invite our listeners one more time to call us with any short sale questions. And if you have a specific deal you're working on and you've run across an, an issue or you want to share a triumph or whatever, give us a call, 772 or send an email to askvina at gmail.com. Join us for more rollicking, fun music on the next Larry and Carol Fobiano Music Special. This time around, it's the 10-year reunion show for the class of 1955. You'll hear some of your favorites from the 1950s and 60s. Perry Como, Elvis, Dion, Bill Phillips, Lloyd Price, Mary Wells, Chubby Checker, and even those kids from Liverpool. Hear it exclusively on WMKV 89.3 FM, Saturday, June 19th at 3 p.m., Tuesday, June 22nd at 8 p.m., and Friday, June 25th at 10 p.m. It'll be a hoppin' good time. The 1955 10-year class reunion broadcast on 89.3 FM WMKV and WMKVFM.org. 
Checking on traffic, we now have an accident on northbound 75, northbound 75 at Shepherd. Uh, no lane given yet, but uh, northbound 75 at Shepherd. Still have uh, accidents in the cleanup stages, Neeb at Rapid Run. Northbound 71, just past Dana Montgomery, and southbound 71, south of Red Bank. Boudinot at Montana and 7500 block of Vine Street. Tonight, uh, clear skies, low of 62. Sunny tomorrow, a high of 85. Warming up to around 90 on Friday with sunny skies. And then Saturday, a high of 92 with sunny skies. Next chance of rain Sunday afternoon. Highs will be in the lower 90s into the middle of next week. If WMKV is a big part of your day, help spread the word about us. Tell a friend about WMKV FM 89.3 and about our streaming audio. It's available anywhere in the world at WMKVFM.org. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox. My guest today, John Zorer, also the early or the main speaker at tomorrow night's RIA meeting. And the early speaker, by the way, kind of closely related topic, uh, is Jim Wood, who is an instructor at Cincinnati State in their real estate department and also an investor and RIA board member. He is talking about wholesaling, the easiest way to get started making cash. So that's the 6 o'clock meeting, if you'd like to join us then. And uh, then John will be speaking at 7.30, so show up, you know, seven would be good to show up to get registered and get on in there uh again more information at cincinnatiria.com or at 859-292-7342 uh john while i was checking my askvina.com uh uh email address a an email popped up uh from inman news which is uh, which is a, a big giant you know they they do they do daily real estate news updates and mm -hmm. it says that the uh, it's a new report on the shadow inventory and <laughs> shadow shadow inventory for those of you who are not familiar with it is defined as homes that are 90 plus days delinquent so that's the homes john uh works on in short sales homes that are in foreclosure or are bank owned but are not yet on the market so it takes that whole group of of pre foreclosures and post foreclosures that don't have signs in the yard and says, how big is that group of, of homes? And <clears throat> interestingly, in the greater New York area, greater New York City area, which, which has the highest shadow inventory apparently in the country, if all of those properties went on the market today, it would take 103 months to absorb them at the current rate of demand. So, so if, if all those went on the market today, it would be almost 10 years in the New York area before they would be absorbed. And other cities, uh, uh, for instance, uh, Phoenix, which, of course, was one of the first markets to crash, there's an 18.5-month shadow inventory. In Las Vegas, uh, it's about the same. Chicago's about 44.3 months. Washington, D.C. is about 34.2 months. So this just goes to show you how how big this market really is, and it's even it's bigger than it appears. I mean, you see houses for sale everywhere, but there's even more properties that need to be on the market than that actually are. Yeah, and you see more and more of them all the time. Mm -hmm. You know, it's really it's really crazy the amount of families that are out there that need help right now to to dispose of these properties, and you, know, you can be the one that can come in there and do it because, you know, there's people like the government that are trying to, you know, to do things like HAFA to make things easier, but they're just making it worse, you know? So you guys are going to want, you're, you guys are going to be the ones to step up and help save the country. And I truly believe that. And I hope you do too. Oh yes. Oh yes. Because if these properties that are, that are 90 days at delinquent, 90 plus days delinquent or are already in the foreclosure process, make it all the way through the foreclosure process to the back end where they are REOs and they get dumped on the market, it's just going to depress prices even more. It's, it's the, and, and people often, people who are really, really, really new to the real estate business often asks me, ask me, well, you know, if, 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 if the borrower borrowed 
$178,000 to buy this house and they still owe the bank 175. Why would they take an offer of 105? Why wouldn't they just take the house back and sell it? And of course the reason is cuz they can't sell it for 175 and and, and this is why. <laughs> you know, all right. the, uh, the, and it costs them so much money, you know, to not only for the pre-foreclosures, but once they go to REL, the the cost is you know, even more astronomical. I was reading an article the other day, and J.P. Morgan Chase released a statement that says that an REO costs about $2,000 per day to hold. And I thought I was reading that wrong. I had to go back and read it like five times. I was like, there's no way that it costs $2,000 a day. But, that you know, you can go look it up on the Internet. You'll find it, you know. Uh, it's absolutely crazy the amount of money that it costs them to you know, to to foreclose on these properties and then hold them as REOs. Mm-hmm. You know, um, another quick little story. Uh, we actually one of the first short sales that we were ever working on, and I had had I had sold it, and I was waiting for an approval, and uh, it was actually for from an ASC. We were waiting for the approval. I had already sold it. I sold it to Winston, one of my best friends, and. Um, and basically, they wouldn't approve it. And he bought it. He, I had it sold at that time for 328000 Winston bought and rehabbed the same property as an REO uh, about a year and a half later. Guess how much he bought it for? A lot less, I bet. $128,000. <laughs> so tell me why, you know, a bank, you know, sometimes it, it, it's just they, they don't make sense uh why they wouldn't take some of these offers. They'll, they end up losing a lot more money because not only did they lose the difference in between what we were willing to pay at one time and what he ended up paying at another time, but they also lost all the money from you know actually having to foreclose and pay the foreclosure filings and the sheriff's fees and all that kind of stuff like that. So mm-hmm. you know, they have a lot of motivation of why they would want to work, work, work with you as an investor. And with more and more of the shadow inventory, you know, it's, it's just becoming more and more necessary to dispose of this stuff because you know like you said it's going to get to a point if they keep taking if if these things keep going through foreclosure and they keep having to take them back and this was another thing that has been going on uh, uh, you know in our area a lot of properties are being taken back and they don't go on the market for like a year a year and a half and you know until for for the reos so if they keep taking more and more of these properties back eventually the 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 housing market is just going to fall apart even more Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. now, uh, John, we we just got an email from Scott in St. Paul. It's a good question. He says, if you could only know five attributes about each potential deal and had to say go or no go, what would they be? In other words, what's your what's most critical in your decision making process about whether to pursue a deal? Well, first thing is that they uh, the the. The number one thing is the seller has to be cooperative, or anybody that's in the transaction, they have to be cooperative. If I sense any form of discooperation in the beginning, I fire the homeowner and I move on to the next deal. Because if they're throwing up obstacles in the beginning, imagine what's going to happen before closing. The second thing is bank. That's crucial. You know, if you work with the wrong bank, you can end up spinning your wheels for months and months and months and waste a lot of time and a lot of effort and have it go nowhere. The third thing uh, that I would say is crucial uh, about you know picking a short sale uh, that you want to work on would be picking properties where actually I guess I'll make it third and fourth picking where properties where people still want to live and where people can afford to live that's critical you know in areas around here like the south side of Newark nobody's really buying over there right now so it's pointless for us to focus on getting properties because we can get property is really, really cheap, but then nobody's going to want to buy them. And the same thing goes in the nicer areas as well. Like, you know, we had a deal in South Orange that we were thinking about getting under contract, but the the taxes were $30,000 a year on a property that we were going to get under contract for $220,000. Now, yeah, it would be nice to get a buyer to come in there and and that normally wouldn't be able to live in that area to come in and buy, but they weren't going to be able to afford the taxes. And the people that are you know, ritzy in that area, they didn't want to live there because you could see, not, it wasn't like right next to it, but you could see in the distance, you could see the VA hospital, you know, so it was like the people 
people, the, the, the type of buyers just didn't, they, they couldn't, the, the ones that wanted to live there, they couldn't afford it. And the ones that, you know, the other ones just didn't want to live there. Um, and then I guess the fifth thing that is super important is, you know, just being able to know that you have some kind of a justification for a discount on the actual house itself. You know, like if it's, if it's needs a lot of repairs, obviously there's your justification there. If it's in a pretty market, uh, if it's a pretty house, you know, you need to, you know, maybe, maybe there's something that beyond, you know, beneath the surface that you can't normally see that's wrong with the house. Maybe there's something wrong with the area where, like I talked about a second ago, where people are just not wanting to buy. But the bottom line is, is that the house has to have some reason why the, the, the bank is going to actually take a discount and, and sell that property to you. So I guess those are the, the, the top five things that I would look for uh, in taking on short sales. Very good. And we have a second question here from Max in Austin. He says, I recently tried to do a short sale, but my biggest problem was I just couldn't get the right people on the phone from the bank. I sent them all the necessary paperwork, including the contract, the hardship letter, and the authorization, but I never got a call back no matter how many times I left a message. What did I do wrong? Well, there's, there could be a lot of things that you did wrong, to be, you know, to be perfectly honest with you. Unless I really looked at exactly what you did, I couldn't tell you for sure. But one of the, the I guess, the main things that happens with, um, you know, with loss mitigation is, one, you know, did you fax in the complete package? Did you send in every single document and did you send it all at one time? You know, because if they didn't, if they didn't receive it all in one time, sometimes it, it doesn't get in put input into their system because it's looked at as incomplete. The second thing, uh, just from you know your question, I can say is you know don't you know don't keep leaving messages. You just want to keep calling back and calling back until you actually get somebody on the phone. You know that that's uh, the squeaky wheel gets the grease, and you have to be pleasantly persistent and keep going after these boss mitigators and hammer them because. They have stacks and stacks and stacks of files on their desk, and they're not, you know, like loss mitigators or the people that you normally talk to, they're, they're the, the, the lower-level loss mitigators, they're not these, you know, high-paid executive negotiators. They're these, you know, lower-level, you know, people that are just everyday people, and, you know, they were just said, here's what you're going to do, and they were given a... Uh, a bunch of job description tasks, and they were, they were set out and to go and do it, and then they have a hundred million files. So you know, if, if those are the, I guess the two things that I would start with that I think that the problem could be, mm-hmm. but but without more information, mm-hmm. I don't, I couldn't really uh, give you an exact answer. My partner was talking to a um, a loss mitigator from Bank of America yesterday. And she told him that she receives two hundred voicemails a day during her working yeah. week. It's, yeah, it's absolutely crazy. Like, you know, because, uh, you know, we work with a, a lot of loss mitigators and a lot of uh, loss mitigators will tell, you know, or, or will tell the negotiators, because at this point, like, I don't, I don't personally, you know, even negotiate my own files. I have other people, I have, you know, in-house staff that negotiates the, the, the files for us. And, um, you know, they, they tell our negotiators and they even have, Right on their voicemails, it'll say, you know, don't leave a message because they get all these voicemails and it'll just basically, it'll tie them up even longer trying to, you know, trying to listen to them all and, and whatnot. So they want you to just keep calling back until you get them. And it is the luck of the draw. You, you know, sometimes you'll, ha- if you really need something, like if you need to postpone a file or get something approved, you know, right away, you're going to need to, like, keep hammering them and hammering them and hammering them. And that's the reason why. You know, eventually, that's that's what we did. Is we we trained and created systems for our negotiators, and uh, you know, we're we're working with uh, another gentleman as well that is actually an, an ex senior level loss mitigator because we just like there's just you need to have somebody eventually that that's their full time job, just you know, pounding the phones with the negotiators and developing relationships with them so you can get these deals through a lot faster than everybody else. Mm -hmm. Uh, John, we have a caller on the line, uh, Steve, who I assume is calling from Cincinnati, although it doesn't say. Steve, welcome to Real Life Real Estate. Hi, thanks for taking my call. 
Hi, John. Um, I had two questions for you. One is, what kind of marketing do you do to find the short sales? And then the second question is, if you find one of these vacant houses, how do you find the homeowner? Okay. Uh, well, the first the first uh, question, uh, the first answer to your uh, the first question is, we do a lot of different forms of marketing. I, I have myself about thirty four different types of marketing that we do. I'll give you my top four techniques that we're using right now. Number one would be direct mail using letters and postcards, mailing directly to the pre foreclosure um, the pre foreclosure list, and we send them a couple of letters. It's not you know we don't just send one letter; we send a couple or mix them up letters and postcards. Uh, the second technique that we're using the most right now is we do door knocking. I have actually a team of door knockers that they go out and they door knock the pre-foreclosure list and we have a, a leave behind that we leave with the people uh, at the door. And this is the reason that we focus on door knocking is because we can get right in front of the people and, you know, it's not, you don't have the, the you don't have the, um, you don't have to get, you don't have to get the letters open, you don't have to really get in front of them you're you're right there you're right in front of them the only thing that they can do is talk to you or slam the door in your face and uh you know from you we we take the approach with door knocking as to go there non-threatening and if you do that and you leave the right leave behind with the great with good information then you can get about like four and four numbers and 30 doors so i really really uh i really really highly suggest using door knocking especially especially for new investors who don't have a lot of money to advertise, that's a way that you can get a bunch of deals in your pipeline right away. Uh, and the third biggest uh, thing that we're using right now is we're doing a lot of Internet marketing, and the, the two biggest things that we're doing for Internet marketing is pay-per-click, uh, using you know Google AdWords and Yahoo uh, and Bing to drive traffic to a squeeze page and get, getting, the, uh, getting the pre-foreclosure sellers to opt in for a free report and then putting them on an autoresponder series and calling them if they give us further information. And then the, the other thing that we're really, really focusing on big time is doing a lot of blogging, and we're doing, uh, we're incorporating videos into our blogs. And, uh, you know, we, we use, we actually, you know, give out good information that will help the, the people in pre-foreclosure. Um, and then the, the, uh, the last uh strategy that we're, we're really, really, really using hardcore right now is uh, getting referrals, referrals especially from realtors, but also from other investors, title companies, and attorneys. So those are our top four marketing strategies that we're using right now. And, and the, the answer to the second question is if you have a vacant property, there are these services that are called skip tracing services. And basically, mm-hmm. what they're designed to do is is find the the homeowner, um, you know, the person that used to live at that property. Now there is both paid and free skip tracing services. Now, of course, you want to try the free ones first. Uh, one of the best free skip tracing ser- searches that you can use is zabasearch.com. That's z-a-b-a-s-e-a-r-c-h.com, and it's a great free skip tracing service. And then, the, the, you know, you can also use a paid uh, tr- skip tracing service like Accurant, but they tend to be a little more expensive, and you have to actually, uh, you know, pay for it a subscription. So you always want to try the free stuff first. And the other thing I forgot to mention is if you can't, you know, skip trace them for free, uh, if you want to, you know, not really spend too much money and pay for a skip tracer to, you know, find uh, their, their new address, their new phone number, and even they can go as far as to find relatives and whatnot, then you could also, you know, just send a postcard to the vacant property and request the forwarding address or request that it be forwarded or or return the forwarding address to you. And then sometimes that'll just do the trick. So there's a a couple of ways for you. I hope hope that that answers your question. Yes, it does. Thank you. There's a lot of information. <laughs> Thank you very much cool. for your call, Steve. I hope hope you took copious notes there. Uh, we, uh, we need to take a very quick break. Uh, when we come back, we're going to answer questions from Tom in Charleston, from Sam in Portland, and from CeCe in Arkansas. We'll be back right after this.
In this day of MP3 players and instant audio gratification, WMKV remains your best bet. A recent survey by the Council for Research Excellence and the Nielsen Company shows that people depend on radio for their audio entertainment. Almost 75% have radio on in the car. 55% listen to radio at work. And even with CDs and other diversions, 50% of people have the radio on at home. That means that the unique quality of WMKV is even more valuable to your business. Not only does radio reach large portions of our community each and every minute, but WMKV traditionally boasts loyal listeners who stay tuned longer for programming that can't be found anywhere else. If you're listening right now, imagine how many others are doing the same. Let us help you reach them affordably from small business and nonprofits to corporate. Call now 513-782-2427. What have you been waiting for? That's 513-782-2427. Let's check on traffic right now. We have an accident northbound 71 at Pfeiffer, left shoulder. Police are on the scene. Brewster at Trimble, an accident with injuries, 3700 block of Harrison, also 1600 block of Westwood. An accident northbound 75 at Shepherd on the right shoulder. All the lanes are open there. Nebit Rapid Run, northbound 71 at Dana Montgomery, and southbound 71 at Red Bank. Those are your accidents at the moment. Weather forecast tonight, clear skies, a low around 62. Tomorrow, sunny with a high of 85, and then we'll get up to about 90 on Friday with sunny skies. And Saturday, a high of about 92 with partly cloudy skies. Uh, Looking ahead into next week, highs will be in the mid to lower 90s all the way through Wednesday with a slight chance of an afternoon thunderstorm each day at the first half of next work week. Right now, though, it's not too bad. It's 84 degrees here at 89.3 WMKV. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing, where we are grieving the loss of Big Butter Jesus. Uh, just although someone pointed out on my Facebook that it may rise again in three days. We'll, we'll see. So, <laughs> um, the uh, topic today, though, is short sales. And my guest is John Zor, who is going to be speaking at the Real Estate Investors Association Cincinnati meeting tomorrow. And I'm sorry for all of the, those of you out of town who aren't going to get to check this out because... Um, John's fun to watch, and he crowds a lot of information into a short 90-minute presentation, uh, as you just saw with Steve. Um, we got a couple more questions here, John, from listener Sam from Portland, Oregon, that is, not sure. Maine, says, my biggest, attempt, my biggest concern about attempting short sales is the time required. I'm still employed full-time. How much time is required, and does the short sale process require full-time availability to do this? If so then do you recommend having some sort of specialist negotiate on my behalf? What kind of arrangement and control of the deal is typical and what profit split is typical? I think that um, you can do short sale investing, whether you're, whether you have a full-time job or not, there is definitely more than enough time in the day to, you know, to negotiate and do your full-time job. Uh, The thing with, Anything you know, you know, it doesn't matter what type of real estate or that you're going to get into, or any type of business that you're going to get into is, you know, um, are you really going to allot the time to focus on your business? Because a lot of people, what uh, what I see happen is, you know, they'll they'll tell me, you know, I have this full time job, and then they'll say that I, you know, that they don't have any time after work, but then they go have time to go home and. Well, you can't say watch Lost anymore because that's off the air. So I guess what are, what are they watching nowadays, like Glee and stuff like that? Yeah, probably. You know, like if you have enough time to go watch those types of TV shows, then you definitely have enough time to focus uh, in you know, focus on building a business. Now, that's not to say that you're doing that. Um, you know, regardless if you're you know the hardest work in the world, you know you definitely have time to work on the short sales after work. A lot of these banks. Uh, to start are are located in you know California and and stuff like that so or other parts of the uh, globe and they have uh, they have people that are always answering the phone so you can you can really you know get the the major things the critical things from the gatekeepers so you you, you can really call any time of day and you can work on the weekends and stuff too I absolutely do recommend that once you get some experience and you start working on them and you get a, a feel for how the loss mitigation works, then you can actually 
hire a negotiator to, once you lock up the deal, then you can turn over the deal to the negotiator and they can work with you and you have different checks and balances to make sure that everything uh, gets worked on the way that you want to and you can continue on just locking up the deals until, uh, you know, until you're able to quit your job and build your business even more. And the typical, the, question? the typical split to the negotiator would be what? Well, see, there's different, it's different, um, it, it, it's, I guess it's, it depends on your experience level and how you're going to hire them. You know, um, like I've seen it anywhere from uh, typically 15% to 50%, and it really d- depends on how much involvement the other party has to have and, you know, what you bring to the table. And that's, that's just the, the, the fair answer to give, I think. Mm-hmm. And that uh, that uh, largely assumes that the deal is going to be wholesaled, because when you say fifteen percent to fifty percent, what you're talking about is of the gross the gross wholesale profit. So, like if I you know made ten thousand dollars wholesaling one of these deals, my negotiator might make anywhere from you know five thousand down to you know what seven hundred fifty bucks. But uh, short sales don't have to be wholesaled. No, you, you can, can do wholesaling or rehab, or you know, rehab them, resell them, or you know, even buy and hold them. You know, there's a lot of different things that you do, and with the how that works with the negotiators is, you know, we have certain we have set um, fees that we've agreed to that if we were to buy and hold the deal, that this is what we're going to pay our negotiator. Mm-hmm. Okay, very quickly, we have a, a a question from Tom in Charleston in about one minute to answer it. He says, "Do you, does John have any strategies for keeping the property from going to the sheriff sale while negotiating the short sale? For instance, does he have his sellers request a continuance from their local civil court? If they have a reason to, yes. Um, you know, they can go in front of the judge and ask them to postpone it. Uh, you know, if you're in a judicial, uh, if you're in a judicial state, then you can actually, and they haven't filed their extension, they can actually go down and they can request uh, two extensions for two weeks, and they'll have a month. So, uh, you know, I hope that answers the question. Okay, John. Well, we look forward to seeing you tomorrow night at the Real Estate Investors Association of Greater Cincinnati meeting where you are going to be talking short sales uncensored for an hour and a half from 730 to 9 o'clock tomorrow. Everyone is invited to that meeting, which is at the corner of Reading and Seymour at the Jordan Crossing. Just look for all the cars that say, I buy houses and park over there and you'll find it. More information at CincinnatiRia.com or 859-292-7342. We'll be back next week with more information to put you on the path to financial independence through real estate investing. Until then, happy investing. Live the memories, love the memories. The old radio shows, and I, I enjoy that you folks still keep that on the air. And I'm, I'm a jazz fan. I've been for many.